Welcome to the No Shame on You podcast, where we talk to mental health professionals, educators, and advocates. No Shame on You is a 501c3 organization dedicated to eliminating the stigma associated with mental health conditions and raising awareness. Our goal is for people who need help to seek it, for family members and friends to know how to provide proper support and to save lives. Hello, I'm Wendy Singer, the Director of Programming for No Shame on You, and we're so excited today to be with Mark Fine for our 37th podcast. Mark Fine is a facilitator, educator, and mentor. Mark has spent the last 10 plus years creating experiences, workshops, and events that have helped thousands of people across North America develop the skills and confidence to reach their true potential. Workshops are grounded in human-centered design, reflective, and directed by the learner to fit their individual goals. Mark is also a mental health advocate with lived experience. Mark shares his story and effort to raise awareness of mental health issues in our communities and destigmatize conversations surrounding mental health. And I had the honor of meeting Mark through work he was doing to support mental health clubs for teens in the Jewish day school community. And he's just a fantastic person. We had an incredible conversation. And the first thing I thought of was, I need to have Mark on our podcast. And Mark, welcome. How are you today? (laughs) Doing great, Wendy. Thank you for having me. Great. Tell us, tell our listeners more about you. Fill in the bio. What did I miss? What do we need to know? What do we what do we need to know? It's already a need. It's such a strong word. Uh, <laughs> so who am I? Uh, I guess bio. I grew up in uh, Riverdale, New York. Uh, currently live in Jerusalem, Israel. And I think you can break up my professional life into a couple of different categories. One will be the youth work. I've spent the past 15 years working for an organization called NCSY. Uh, which is a Jewish youth organization running a summer camp and educational programming for them. And I also uh, do a mental health advocacy, uh, which takes the form of uh, workshops for educators on practical skills for supporting self and others uh, who might live with uh, anxiety or, or depression, um, running workshops related to destigmatization. And I think what combines the, the two um, is really striving to create authentic, caring, and empowering uh, communities. Wow. And do you do this full time? Or is this a side hustle, if you will? Uh, definitely a full-time educator and an advocate. Wonderful. And how long have you been doing this? And how did you choose how did you choose this work, this fully work, if you will? So I think uh, choose might be overstating it. Uh, I think there are times when we are called to do something, whether we realize it or or not. And about uh, 15 years ago, I was I heard about an art project called the the What I Be Project, and it was an art project at uh, Yeshiva University where people would uh, take photographs of them of themselves with a something that they were struggling with. And the goal of the art project was to say, I am more than 
whatever it was that they were struggling with. So for, for me, I took a photo of myself with my hands in front of my face. And on one hand, it said public inspirational, confident leader. And on the other hand, it said private, uh, depressed, scared, and alone. And uh, this was before social media was really a thing. So uh, we thought that we could post things on the internet and people wouldn't necessarily see them. And uh, a lot of people saw, saw the image and it, uh, it sparked a lot of conversation and it led me uh, to speak for the first time publicly about my experience with anxiety and depression as part of an Active Minds event on uh, the Yeshiva University campus. And that led to opportunities uh, to speak in different um, schools and organizations. And I saw in my work with teens how much it meant for, for them to see someone talk publicly and share openly uh, and not pretend that they have everything together and that it's possible to both be successful and live with uh, a, mental, a mental illness. And that motivated me to share more and to work more in this arena. Thank you for that explanation. And that picture is on your website. Um, yeah, it's you... odd for me that that is the most viewed picture of me. Uh, <laughs> it's an and... incredible picture. And I remember as you were describing it, I, I, I thought I remember seeing it. It is on your website that we'll share with audiences under your media section. And it, it's a it's a very powerful picture. And now I know where it came from. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about your mental health journey um, and that that part of your life. Yeah, so I, I first realized, oh, I'll back things up. Uh, you asked me when I first realized, and I think it's important to say that at first I didn't realize that when I was in, in high school and I was in a very intense academic environment and I knew what it meant to be successful, what it took to be successful, and there were times during high school where I would say, oh, I'm burnt out. I'm just going to take a day off. And I didn't have a language for it at the time. I would have meant that I needed a day off or I didn't want to be with anyone because resume wise, everything was going great. Uh, but internally, OK, I didn't feel like I was experiencing the full range of the, the human experience, or I'd be successful at something, my reaction would be relief, um, as opposed to feeling, wow, I really accomplished something. And I don't know if there was anything diagnosable at the time, but I do feel there were certain uh, negative thoughts or uh, unhealthy mental habits that were developing that I wasn't aware of. And that continued over the course of my, my gap year and then in college where Professionally, everything was really going well, and there were aspects of my personal life that I didn't really develop into or, or look at, and that whenever there was a conflict that came up, I would just work more and work harder, and that was always my response. I could look at myself and what was going on internally in my life, or I could work more and work harder, and that, looking back on it, was my uh, coping mechanism and my way of numbing what I was experiencing internally. And in my early 20s, I left a, left a job and had a year uh, where I was basically on my couch watching uh, the OC and One Tree Hill reruns, uh, which isn't officially in the DSM-5 as diagnosis for depression, but it should be. Uh, but I didn't have a language for it. 
I wasn't aware of what was happening. And if anyone asked me, I was, oh yeah, I'm job hunting in, in air quotes. And at the end of the year, I found a position and then went back as if nothing happened. And it was only a couple of years later when a lot more stress built up in my, in my life and I was clearly having an impact on others where a couple of people uh, finally confronted me and said, Mark, I don't know what's going on, but it's not working for you um, and it's not working for us. What's happening um, where that opened up the opportunity to have a real conversation about what was going on uh, in my life. And it was ultimately those conversations that uh, motivated me to, to go to therapy. Mark, can you share how your family supported you during the, the, the initial time when you were when you started experiencing the, this intense or stress in your 20s? Yeah, so one of the ways that they were able to support me is that for, for other reasons, my mom had mentioned to me that if I ever wanted to go to, to therapy, um, that's something I could ask her ask her about. And when I was finally ready, uh, I was able to say, I think it's time, even though I wasn't able to articulate to her, here's the reason why, and here's what's motivating me to ask you. Uh, I wasn't ready for that. I think part of me wasn't ready to share with her. And I think a lot of it was I wasn't ready to say out loud what, what I was feeling. Um, that was almost too much for me. But I was able to get out, okay, I, I need I need support. And the fact that I had that open invitation created the permission for me to, to ask for support. And when you were initially diagnosed, how did that feel to you? Was it a relief? What did it stress you out more? What, what was that, those feelings like? Yeah, I feel very bad for my first therapist. Uh, I have distinct memories of sitting in that first meeting, my hands gripping the chair and probably not saying very much at all. Uh, I think it took all my mental willpower to just get into the room and then not leave and run away once I was once I was there. Uh, I definitely had a lot of denial about what was going on in my life and what I was uh, experiencing. Uh, I think at first having a label was helpful because okay, now there's a reason. I think afterwards I found the label to be suffocating and limiting because I began to define myself as, oh, I am depressed and therefore, and that wasn't, that wasn't healthy for me. And it took me a long time to transition from I am depressed to I live with depression. And it is an aspect of who I am, but it's not the totality of who I am. And to view my life and my behaviors, not through the lens of mental illness and, oh, I made this decision because I'm depressed or I made this decision because I was anxious or I shouldn't do this thing because I'm nervous about, uh, but rather, okay, this is something to take into account along with lots of other things to take into account. Uh, but that was a really long journey. And I definitely had a lot of, especially at the beginning, resentment toward myself uh, for putting myself into this situation. And if only I would have gotten support earlier. Um, so for example, about uh, medication, when I was first put on medication, 
my first reaction was, wow, this is a relief. Like this is working. Uh, I was on Wellbutrin. Thank God they got the dosage right, right away. And it was as if having caffeine for the first time or seeing colors, like all the energy just came back. And that was amazing. And then my second thought was, why the heck did I wait so long? And if only I would have taken this pill earlier, then my entire 20s could have been different. And then there was judgment involved. And then the third thought was, but I don't want to be dependent on this medication. I want to be me. I want to be independent of this. And how quickly can I get off this? And all those complicated thoughts sort of bounced around together until I was able to, with the help of my therapist, integrate myself. Yeah, it's complicated. And I have my own experiences. And I remember, I remember myself, it brings me back to when I started medication and I, I didn't want to take it. And I don't know why I didn't want to take it. And somehow I shifted in my brain that the thought came to me. I don't know if someone told me this, a friend, a family member, or I came to it on myself, but the thought was, if I had asthma, I would take an inhaler. Would I feel badly about that? or someone I loved, if they were having an asthma attack and they took an inhaler, would would I want to stop them or shame them for that? And absolutely not. And somehow that mantra in my head got me over that bump. Yeah. So it's something that definitely I heard in therapy. My therapist preferred the diabetes example and insulin. And intellectually, I understood what they were saying. But emotionally, every time she said that, I thought to myself, okay, if you say that one more time, I just couldn't, I just couldn't handle it. Like, okay, intellectually, I get it, but I still had in my head, um, different. Yeah. And it took me a long time to get over that because my entire identity was built upon being the smart one or being the independent one or being the helper, being the supporter and not needing. And it took a long time to accept that it was okay to accept help and it was okay to not be perfect and it was okay to be human. That was another thing that came up a lot was Mark, we just call that being human. I'm like, okay, but that's not me. <laughs> and surprise, I'm human. You are. And w- was there a particular moment that, that helped you accept it or it really was a slow process over, over, over a long time? I was a slow rock fight. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. It was a, yeah, it was a process. I don't recall any aha moment. Uh, and I think, I think for me, I like to do things the, the hard way, meaning I have to discover it for myself and then figure out what's, what's going on here. Uh, so for example, I used to think, oh, there's a finish line. And then once I get past the finish line, then I'm going to be healed. I'm never going to need to think about this ever again until I'd be doing well and then something would happen because life happens and emotions are a part of life and falling down is a part of life. And the first time that that happened, I spiraled because I thought, okay, I did the work. I did everything I was supposed to do. Why am I still experiencing this? And it took that happening a few times before I was able to finally understand, wait, this is the living part. There isn't being done. There's living. There's living with. And I just had to keep discovering and rediscovering until it stuck. 
And I think you, I think that's an important thing for our, for some listeners, because when you're, when you're first, you know, for me, I remember in my, in my mid twenties, early twenties is when I started experiencing, um, debilitating anxiety and whatnot. And I thought at the time, I'm never going to get out of this. This is just my new life. It's, it's who I'm going to be and I'm going to be in hell the rest of my life. But, but it sounds like you and I both have the experience where we now know that it does get better, but it might come back and that we can navigate that. Um, which to me was life, life changing. Um, Cause that first time was, was terrible. And I remember thinking on, this is just the way it's going to be, but, but as you grow and you, you get wiser, life is about riding the wave, you know, ups and downs. And it's certainly not linear. That's for sure. <laughs> Definitely not linear. And I think what you just described is when people ask me like, what did I get out of therapy? I think a lot of it was practical tools. So that way, when I have the same experience, I don't need to respond in the same way. Now I have my toolbox of here's the breathing exercise, or here's the songs I can listen to, or here's the uh, person that I know I can call that I establish in advance. Here's the exercises I know work for, for me. And that plus the awareness that you just described of this is temporary uh, was, was massive. Like I had a similar experience. Like when I was depressed, I, I, could, I didn't remember it being any different. And I couldn't imagine it being any different. So I thought I might as well just get really comfortable where I am because this is just the way things are and the way things they're always going to be. And it took a lot of work to realize that it could be different. And now when those same thoughts come back to acknowledge, okay, like these are thoughts, they're not permanent thoughts, or I'm having a bad day. But as you said, it's a wave that you can ride, you can ride. And anyone who surfs or which I do not, but for the sake of metaphor, uh, you can't fight the wave. You can ride with it. It will go out and then you'll pick up the next one, but there's no, there's no fighting with. I think that's great. A great advice um, and, and a great thought. And is there anything else you would want to add? Like if you could look back at your younger self, your 20 something self, um, now that you are a wise, mature 30 something year old, what advice would you, would you want to tell yourself? Anything else, anything different? Uh, so many things. Uh, the first thought that came to mind was just breathe. I'm not even talking physically. I, I put so much pressure on myself and uh, just, just breathe. Uh, I think the biggest thing that I would tell myself is what do you want? I think there was for me a lot of performing for others and doing really good work, but the motivation wasn't always, here's what I want. It was, here's what I know is important, or here's what I think other people want from me and expect from me. And it was a lot of unnecessary pressure. And I think I would tell myself and teens, especially, A, most people don't care. Like they are, the world is not paying attention to exactly what you are doing. <laughs> uh, do you? Uh, and I would have given myself permission to experiment more and try more. And I put such a heavy price on failure that I made so many decisions based on how can I avoid failing as opposed to what do you want and how can you build toward getting what you want? 
And what are your thoughts from working? You work with so many people and teens and different organizations. Um, and through your own experience, do you feel over the last 10 years that there's been a shift um, surrounding the stigma uh, of mental health challenges? What, what are your thoughts? What do you see? And yeah, there's been a massive shift uh, within uh, the culture as a, as a whole. Uh, you can just uh, plot lines on TV shows are, uh, we can address mental health. Uh, love or hate 13 Reasons Why, I happen to hate it. And I think it's one of the most awful shows ever made from a mental health perspective. But Netflix felt comfortable making a show about it. Um, Silver Linings, Playbook, uh, Plot Lines on This Is Us. It, it Culturally, um, it's something that people are being open about. Uh, you can find athletes, Kevin Love, DeMar DeRozan, um, uh, Naomi Osaka, who are talking publicly about what's going on with them from a mental health perspective. Uh, within the Jewish community specifically, um, you have uh, organizations like No Shame on You. You have the network that we're running now with Prisma for Jewish mental health clubs in high schools, uh, which never would have happened. There are so many organizations uh, the Be Well Foundation, Blue Dove, uh, that have popped up that are specifically working on this issue within the community. And 10 years ago, it was literally front page news in the Jewish week that you had people willing to talk about their lived experience publicly. Uh, it's a whole different world now uh, than it was a decade ago, uh, I think in a very positive way. I was picking up a sandwich for my kids at a sandwich shop just last week. And there were a bunch of middle school kids eating sandwiches. <laughs> and I heard them behind me. I wasn't looking. I was at, you know, looking at the counter and they all were saying, where do you go to therapy? Where do you, Oh, I go to this place. Oh, and my, you know, my therapist rocks. Another one is my therapist. I think, I think I, I need a different one, but it was this whole conversation with this group of diverse middle school, eighth graders. Um, and, and, they were talking about it. And I just, in my head, I was thinking freeze this moment um, where they all feel comfortable enough to like share and talk about it. Where certainly when I was a kid growing up that, that is, you know, I remember my family took us, my mom took us to family therapy and I was mortified. Um, so we're in a different spot with, and, but, but we have some places to go still. And that's why you're doing the work you do. And that's why you're doing stuff. the work that you do. Yeah. So tell us about some of the interesting projects that you work on. Um, you do so many cool things, um, but tell, tell me some of your favorites, some of your favorite mental health advocacy projects that you've been working on. Sure, a uh, couple, couple of favorites. Uh, so Prisma is a organization that works with uh, Jewish day schools in North America. Uh, so there is a network uh, that myself and uh, Olivia Friedman, uh, who runs uh, Erica's Lighthouse at Ida Crown Jewish Academy, uh, co-founded, and we created a, a playbook. We can uh, link to it in the media section. And we'll do it. The, the playbook uh, goes through how to develop a mental health club in your Jewish high school. So we have a network of Jewish high schools from across the country that meet monthly to develop uh, educational programming and leadership opportunities for students to create mental health programming in their high schools. Uh, so that's one creative project. Uh, another creative project, I work with an organization in Israel called Keshev, 
and which in Hebrew means to, to pay attention or to be, to be aware of. And they run uh, educational seminars for gap year students uh, on uh, mental health and transitioning to studying abroad. And they also run trainings for educators who run uh, short-term trips like a Birthright Israel or a summer program where you have staff who aren't trained mental health professionals, uh, but invariably over the course of a summer or a short trip uh, encounter mental health issues and need training on what to notice and pay attention to. And when things come up, how to respond according to how they're able to respond. So I also run facilitations and trainings uh, with that organization. And Another exciting initiative that I played a small part in, but it's important for the world to know, is there's an organization in Israel called Magle Nefesh, uh, which is run by uh, Rav Yoni Rosenzweig. And there is a lot of conversation around the intersection between uh, mental health and Jewish uh, law and tradition. And he created a center for training uh, rabbis and other rabbinic figures and clergy in the community about the intersection between uh, Jewish law and mental health. And uh, I played a small role in putting that curriculum together. Uh, that's less about an interesting project I'm working on and more just an interesting project in the community uh, that I feel people should be aware of. That's amazing. And we had a program with him when he was stateside and it, it's an incredible organization and, and so helpful to so many. And you also are a leadership coach and organizational consultant, and you do that work with individuals or organizations, and is mental health a, 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 a tenant of that work as well? Yeah, so I do the work with, uh, with organizations and with individuals. Uh, within that space, they prefer to stay away from mental health, and it's, I'll call it mental well-being. Uh, whether it's mental well-being uh, in the in the workplace, and I think there it doesn't come up explicitly as oh let's talk about anxiety and depression as much as it's a part of a lot of implicit conversations around creating psychological safety or uh, stress management or there's a transition happening either professionally or personally and how do I navigate that transition. And what I think my experience as a mental health advocate brings is a sensitivity and a nuance uh, to those uh, conversations and creating a place that's vulnerable and safe enough for people to surface what's really going on, uh, but also recognizing uh, here's the opportunity to challenge narratives or challenge beliefs uh, so that way people can make progress on what it is that they really want. Uh, out of their lives or out of the initiatives in their uh, organization. Fantastic. And where can our listeners find you if they want to read about you, if they want to contact you and, and work with you, where, where do we find you? Uh, so the easiest place to find me is email, uh, M-A-R-C period F-E-I-N at gmail.com. Uh, I also have a lovely website that uh, Olivia Friedman, uh, bless her soul, uh, created for me, uh, wow. which uh, can be linked in the in the media section. And uh, yeah, connect with me on uh, LinkedIn and Facebook, uh, M-A-R-C-F-E-I-N. That's where I do a lot of my writing and posting and happy to, to have you along for the ride. Mark, thank you so much. We'll end with fast forward 10 years. What do you see? Do you have a vision for the future for yourself or the world of mental health? Um, any thoughts there? 
Uh, I wish that it wasn't a podcast and people can see how tense my body got when you asked me that question. Uh, fast forward 10, uh, 10 years from now, uh, 10 years from now, uh, Lord knows, 10 years from now. Okay, ask me the question again so I can come up with a good answer. <laughs> fast forward 10 years, where do you see yourself? Uh, fast forwarding 10 years, uh, I see myself still living in Israel. Uh, I see myself uh, having a family. I see myself with a flourishing uh, facilitation and, and coaching business. And I see our community is in a place where there is access to information, uh, where there's access to resources, and where there's the confidence to take action. Uh, I think a lot of people are waiting for permission, uh, waiting for permission to ask for help, waiting for permission to, to start, uh, waiting for permission for things to be different. And I, I hope that in 10 years, uh, permission granted, and everyone can get access to, to what they need and uh, live the lives that they dream of. Thank you, Mark. I can attest that Mark is dynamic. He is professional. He's down to earth. And from the moment I met you, I felt I felt a wonderful connection and a, a, a matching, matching passion for the work that we do um, to destigmatize mental health challenges in, in our community and beyond. And um, it, thank you for taking time to Zoom in with me um, for this podcast. It's after 10 o'clock in Israel. So he stayed up late for me. And um, and for you guys, uh, our listeners. So thank you, Mark, and we'll we'll see you soon. My pleasure. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Wendy.